Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Where the Dark Corners Are. Hello, hello. My name is Vina, and I am your Dark Travels hostess. Tonight, we're heading south. Uh, Texas South. (laughs) Now, I have never been to Texas, but I know it's in my future sometime this fall. More specifically, I'm talking about San Antonio. But the truth is, even if I wasn't planning on coming to San Antonio, Texas... I would eventually be doing an episode on San Antonio because, believe it or not, San Antonio is considered one of the most haunted places in America. So let's talk San Antonio. San Antonio is the former home of the Papaya Indian, the Apache, and other indigenous people. And in 1691, Spanish explorers first visited the area and continued to visit the area until San Antonio was founded on May 1st, 1718. That's when Mexico established the mission of Santiago de Valero. The mission would later be called the Alamo. Eventually, San Antonio would be developed as a Spanish colonial town. However, over time and with the influx of Anglo-Americans and the Spanish, and eventually the Mexicans, this would become a hotbed of battles. With both sides, fighting bitterly over the land. The deaths from these battles and wars would eventually leave its mark and make San Antonio, like I said before, one of the most haunted places in America. So let's go dark. We'll start with the Devil's Bridge. Located at 2454 E. Ashley Road, this bridge is what many believe is where the otherworldly begins. Local legend has it that this bridge was actually constructed by El Diablo himself. So what happens here to make the locals think as such? Well, a few reasons. One, this place is known to smell of sulfur and rotten eggs, which, as we all know, is possibly the tale of a lingering demonic entity. In addition to the stench, It is said that the darkness between the edges of the bridge is so dense that headlights cannot penetrate it for more than a few feet. And it is also said that if you were to stand on one end and throw a rock or a brick to the other end, you will never hear it fall because something on the other end will catch it. Maybe it's the devil himself. I don't know. Either way, like I said before, located at 2454 E. Ashley Road in haunted San Antonio. Moving on from the Devil's Bridge, let's talk the Aztecs Theater. Built in 1926, its architecture was that of a gaspy-esque grandeur located 
at 104 North Mary Street. The theater is just one of the several theaters in this area that is haunted. However, this one actually kind of has an interesting story. After enjoying a rather successful run during the 1920s, when the Great Depression hit, discord developed between the rich theater owners and the employees. The employees, namely the movie projectionists, created a union, but the fat cat owners decided to bust the union and hire people who were not really qualified for the job. As a result of discord and discontentment, the Aztec was bombed a few times over the years, and while no one actually died, several moviegoers were burned during the sulfur bombings. Now, whether or not this situation left bad juju impressions on the building, it is said that one of the main ghosts that haunt the building is actually that of a projectionist, and this guy loves to play tricks on the current projectionist. In addition to the ghost and the projectionist booth, moviegoers, while watching a movie, have reported seeing weird tentacle creatures crawling on the ceilings. Others have sworn they have seen actual deformed human bodies, and sometimes these deformed human bodies are swinging from the vaults. Now, as I mentioned before, this is the theater that people go and attend movies. And if you are curious, it is open from Tuesday to Saturday, closed on Sunday, Monday. Either way, good luck. <laughs> okay, so from the devil to prankster playing ghosts and deformed human bodies, let's talk the San Fernando Cathedral. As I said before, the Apache actually used to live on this very land. During their time there, they made a peace offering to the Canary Islanders who came to battle in these regions. Now, the Canary Islanders are actually in reference to the Canary Islanders who came from the Canary Island, which is off of the Iberian Peninsula, which is, <laughs> which is right off the coast of Portugal and Spain. So just a quick history on this. King Ferdinand sent these Canary Islanders to, you know, maintain the area for Spain and promise of land, which they did not get. Anywho, so when they came, the Apache decided to make a peace offering with them and performed a grand ritual. And in part of this particular ceremony, they buried their hatchets, literally, and this is probably where the term bury the hatchet comes from, but along with their hatchets, the Apache buried a live white stallion. Now, just so you understand why, the Apache symbol of peace is actually a beautiful white stallion. So hence, they bury their weapons and they're bearing peace together. And again, a symbolic gesture. Today, where they believe this ceremony took place, now stands the San Fernando Cathedral, which is considered a Gothic Revival church. And again, it is named after the 13th century King Ferdinand III of Castile, uh, Castile being a, a region in Spain. But because of the brutal history of the people who lived there, the battles and the wars that were fought before the church was even raised and after, again, because of the impressions, these terrible tragedies 
these terrible battles and death imposed upon the land, this particular church is actually considered one of the most haunted places in San Antonio. Now, thanks to the ceremony of burying the hatchet with the white stallion, believe it or not, the ghost of a white stallion is often seen galloping in a haze in front of this medieval church. As for the activity happening inside the church, many years ago, the church actually used to bury people within the walls. And it is said that visitors of the church have reported seeing faces appear in the exterior walls of the church. There's actually one face that kind of stands out. This particular face has a gaping mouth, two sunken eyes, and its facial features on the skull has appeared to countless people. In addition to the faces on the walls, people have also reported seeing shadow ghost figures wandering the grounds of the cathedral. Now, because it's well known that this church is haunted and they have these you know, entities running around, there are actual ghost tours that come through the church. And it has been reported that guests of the ghost tours have actually reported seeing a strange man who seems to follow the tour around the area before he disappears. In fact, one of the witnesses describe him all in black, all in black clothing, and dressed to the style of the 18th or 19th century. And if that isn't enough, people have also seen ghostly monks. According to the witnesses, ghostly shadows with hoods drawn down over the apparition's faces tend to manifest by the walls and by the doors of the cathedral. They will appear and disappear at will with no pattern or set time or, you know, monkly schedules. Get it? <laughs> In fact, it is these apparitions that people tend to see the most. So if you are curious and if you're hoping to see shadow figures or monks, or White Stallion, then this is the church you need to check out. Located at 115 Main Plaza. So you can do your hoping and praying, if you will. <laughs> Excuse the pun. Uh, anywhere from Monday to Sunday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. on Saturday, from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. and opened on Sunday, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. All right, so obviously we're in Texas. I, of course, cannot visit San Antonio without mentioning one of its most iconic and historical locations, the Alamo. As I said before, there have been many battles and many wars fought in this area, and the Alamo, of course, saw some of this action. First, some history. The adobe structure that would later become known as the Alamo started in 1727. It was a stone and mortar church for the Spanish Catholic mission of San Antonio de Valero. In 1792, though it was not complete, the building was actually handed over to the civil authorities. By 1805, when the Spanish troops arrived, it was completed and used as a hospital. It was during this time that it was given the name the Alamo. The Alamo meaning cottonwood in Spanish. 
Now, as the area was under Mexico's control during the Mexican War of Independence, it briefly, eh, about 1818, housed Mexican forces, and by 1825, it finally became a permanent quarters for a garrison of men. However, by 1835, the structure itself was decaying. In 1835, a man by the name of Martin Perfecto de Coase attempted to put the Alamo into fort fashion by building up dirt ramps to the top of the rear of the church wall and covering it with planks. He even installed an 18-pounder cannon and mounted a half a dozen other cannons. And in the first battle of the Alamo, it was used by the Mexican army in December of 1835. Needless to say, during this battle, the Alamo was damaged. By the time February 1836 came around, the Texans and like forces took possession of it and decided to use it as a place to fight the Mexican army and Santa Ana. And here's where we come to the to the iconic moment of the Alamo's history. During this battle of the Alamo, there were virtually no survivors save one during the battle of the Alamo. Now to be fair, the Mexican general, Santa Ana, did give the Texans and the militant forces that were held up in the Alamo an opportunity to retreat and abandon the fort, but none of them seemed to have taken him on his offer. So when the battle began on March 6, 1836, 200 Texans and militia who stood their ground perished when General Santa Ana took the Alamo. Now, like I said, there was only one person who survived, and he was a slave. And because Santa Ana felt that it was unfair to kill him for fighting against him and his men, because the man was a slave, he let him go. But, believe it or not, the 200 Texans and other militia actually did put a dent in Santa Ana's army. In fact, I want to say that Santa Ana suffered 800 losses versus the 200 in the Alamo. But we're talking at least 1,000 people. And another battle, another war on the same land that people have been fighting over for hundreds of years. So naturally, this leaves a terrible impression on the Alamo. In fact, it is believed that many of the people who had died there, the spirit of them still remain there and the surrounding area. In fact, we're actually going to talk about a, a, a very interesting situation a little bit down the road. But sticking to the Alamo, it seems as if the maybe it was the people who were willing and did die at the Alamo decided to stay and defend it in their afterlife. And here's why I'm saying this. After General Santa Anna won, he demanded that his soldiers burn the Alamo down. So he ordered his General Andre to do the deed. General Andre sent a group of cavalry soldiers to do the deed. However, when they returned, they were pale-faced and frightened. When asked if they completed their task, they told General Andre that they did not, and when General Andre pressed why, the cavalry men claimed that they had witnessed six pale spirits, each wielding a flaming sword and blocking off the entrance to the grounds of the Alamo. 
Fearful of what this meant, the Calvary chose not to burn it down. So General Andrade, not exactly believing this version of events, saddled up, called a few men to go with him, and rode over to the Alamo. When he arrived, he saw a dark spirit rise from the ashes of a ruined building, and in this dark spirit's hand was fire. And that was enough for the general to nope the fuck out and turn around and swore to never return, which was a promise he actually kept. Now, you can say that's a story. However, believe it or not, something apparently very similar happened again in 1871. Having served its part in history and suffering from age, the Alamo was actually slated to be demolished. However, and bear in mind the stories kind of vary, but the ghostly images impose the same meaning. Some claim in what San Antonio residents would call a ghost army either begin marching in formation around the Alamo or, again, the, various, the stories vary, Others claim that the ghosts of the deceased army st- actually didn't march, but stood guard over the historic building when they went to tear it down. Doesn't matter. The plans to demolish the building were quickly squashed by this ghost army. Now, irregardless of the story of the ghost army, over time, both the Texan fighters and their militia, along with the Mexican soldiers, that fought as well, have been seen milling around the outer walls of the Alamo or wandering about the grounds. So both sides, soldiers fighting on both sides, are appearing to people who visit the Alamo. And they're not the only ones. Apparently there is the ghost of a little boy. He is looking for his parents. It is believed that his parents had perished during the siege of the Alamo. It is not believed that the little boy died there, but it is believed that he's gone back to the place where he last saw his parents and is looking for them. So that's a little sad. That's actually a little sad. But in addition to him, people have also seen the shadow of a spirit in the window above the gift shop as well. So there's just a lot of things going on, a lot of moving parts there at the Alamo. Boys, shadows, Mexicans, Texans, everyone's there. In addition to the ghosts that they're seeing, people have heard whispering, people have heard footsteps, and it's also been reported that people will become overcome by unexplainable and inexplicable changes in their emotions, like they just all of a sudden having these weird emotions that they were not having prior to their visit. So basically, this place is legit haunted, and... I, I mean, it's a, it's a historical moment in time. And again, because of the wars and the battles that have been fought here, these people, these spirits, are still there. So let's talk about another place of tragedy. Uh, this one, believe it or not, I remember this. I remember hearing about this place for the first time as a kid. I am, of course, talking about the ghost train tracks. And, uh, you know, this this situation with the ghost train tracks have been going on for decades. So, obviously, there are, of course, a few different versions. 
But the tragedy always ends the same. So one version goes like this. During the 1920s or 40s, a school bus filled with kids stalled in the middle of a train track. And of course, the oncoming train was unable to stop in time before smashing into the bus, killing everyone on board, including the driver upon impact. It is actually said that the sheer force of the train actually split the bus into two, sending the two ends into opposite directions. Another version goes that while coming home from a field trip, a school bus full of sleeping children stalled on the tracks. The driver, hoping to get the engine to work again, decided not to wake any of the children. However, when the driver noticed that a train was coming down the track, even though he tried to wake the kids up and get them off the bus, it was too late, and everybody, again, including the driver, perished. Today, though, it is said that if you take your car to this train track and you put it in neutral, unseen ghosts will actually push your car across and clear you away from the train tracks. If you decide to do this, obviously make sure there are no cars coming. But, I mean, because obviously nobody wants another terrible moment like this happening. But I have seen videos. And I'm talking videos before there was TikTok, before there was YouTube. Actual videos of people putting baby powder on the back of their car and watch as the car would be pushed to safety. And lo and behold, after the car would clear the tracks, there would be small handprints in the baby powder on the back of the car. And honestly, I, I just don't know what to say about that. But either way, this has been done several times over the years. And you could probably find a YouTube video and you could probably find a TikTok video about it now. But this is, I think, one of those things you simply cannot explain. Moving on. Uh, obviously, if you aren't from San Antonio, Texas, you are going to need a place to stay. And... I'm actually torn between these two hotels, although I know, I think I know which one I'm going to try and stay at when I go. But either way, let's talk about my first suggestion. That would be the Victoria's Black Swan Inn. A little history. Per the history books, it is believed that the land of this hotel was once inhabited, again, by Native Americans long before 5000 B.C., and it is believed that the land was sacred to them. In addition to the Native American ties, the hotel is actually located on the banks of the Salado Creek. And in 1842, there was the bloody battle of Salado there. So today, it is believed that the ghosts of the soldiers that died not only haunt the house, but also haunt the land that the house, the inn, now sits on. And along with the soldiers, people have reported numerous Native American sightings on the land. As for the house, the inn itself, people have reported seeing full-body apparitions. Dolls have moved from one location to another on their own accord. People have reported hearing eerie music. People have experienced cold spots. And they have seen doors open and close by their very own. Located at 1006 Holbrook Road, you can book a room and see what happens. Now, the other hotel that I did want to mention 
is the Gunter Hotel. A little history. Some type of hotel has always stood on this very spot since 1837. From 1846 to 1872, the hotel was closed to the public and used as military offices in response to post-Mexican War cavalry incursions and also during the Civil War. When it changed hands between the Union and the Confederacy several times. Over time, the ownership, of course, changed hands and the building would be repeatedly redesigned and renamed. And like such names as the Settlement Inn, the Frontier Inn, the Vance Hotel, Manek Hotel, either way. The building that we come to know as the Gunter gets it constructed in 1909 named after an investor who died during its construction. And for 1909, it was considered the most opulent hotel Texas had ever seen. And it was one of the tallest buildings in San Antonio. In fact, President Franklin Roosevelt and Harry Truman have stayed there, as well as other famous celebrities as Mae West, Gene Autry, Roy Rogers, and John Wayne himself, have all stayed at this hotel. Now, Wayne, of course, stayed here during, ironically, during the filming of the movie, The Alamo. Like you didn't see that one coming. But either way, however, it's been there for a couple hundred years, guys. We all know what that means. It's not just the living that like to hang out there. The Gunter is actually packed with ghosts. Now, keeping in mind its close location to the Alamo, visitors report seeing the spirits of frightened Alamo soldiers, but apparently they aren't the only hotel in the area with this problem. Remember what I said earlier? We're going to touch down on the ghost soldiers of the Alamo. Well, apparently, because of the close proximity to the Alamo, the ghosts from the Alamo tend to wander not only to the Gunter, but to the other hotels in the area. So, so basically what my understanding is, is that if you stayed at a hotel near the Alamo, there is a slight possibility that you would see a ghost soldier from the Battle of the Alamo there. But getting back to the Gunter, let's talk Ingrid and Peggy, the frenemies who like to party like it's the 1920s again. Apparently, these two ladies, though rather harmless, like to hang out on the opposite sides of the hotel's second floor. Ingrid, with her long dark hair, is known to wear a white dress, and Peggy likes to sport her short flapper attire. However, these two ladies have been hashing out a feud since their deaths, if not before. That's right. Apparently, these two ghosts ladies have a little bit of history between them, although it is not known, they are actually fond of throwing things at each other, slamming doors, and occasionally tugging guests back and forth between each other. So they're basically hashing it out on the living against each other. But what do these ghostly girls love the most? Why a party, of course. They are both extremely active during parties and events being hosted at the hotel. And reportedly, Ingrid, in particular, is known to photobomb unsuspecting guests appearing in her finest flapper gal shimmy. Now for some gory. 
because you can't have a hotel for 100 years and not have something really gory. And this is, this is like gory, like legit going on. So, okay. So here's the gory story. In 1965, a man by the name of Walter Emmerich checked into room 636. At the time of his check-in, he used a false name, and during his lengthy stay, he was seen enjoying himself in the company of an unidentified blonde woman. Then came the morning he was supposed to check out. A maid going in to clean his room noticed a do not disturb sign, but guessing good old Walter simply forgot it there, she let herself in the room. And as she walked in, she finds Walter sitting on the bed, surrounded by absolute blood splatter. I mean, everything was absolutely covered with blood. Then, as if not to disturb him, he then raised his finger to his lips to hush her. Now, like anybody else, the maid got the fuck out of there, and as she was leaving, Emmerich rushed out, passing her, holding a bundle of bloody sheets. Now, he shows up at the nearby St. Anthony Hotel a few days later, specifically requesting to stay in room 636. And when that wasn't available, he actually gets a bit hostile with staff. However... He settles for room 536, and just when things didn't feel right with him, the staff decided to call the police. But Walter, before the police could get to him, he decided to commit suicide. So, here's where story gets gory. Between the blood-covered room at the Gunters and his suicide at the St. Anthony, the police decide to retract his final days. That's when they learn that Walter apparently got into an argument with an attendant of a store because the store did not carry a large enough meat grinder that would suit his needs. Now, as the police investigated the bloody gore at the Gunter room, they also find clumps of long blonde hair in the blood and in the bathroom, in both the tub and the toilet. They can see rings, rings of blood coating both. So by substantial conclusion, they believe that good old Walter grinded up what he could of the blonde lady that he had been seen consorting with at the hotel and basically either flushed her down the toilet or washed her down the tub. You know, that's a different version. I'm going to wash that gray right out of my hair. As for what was potentially wrapped in those bloody sheets that Walter ran off with, it is believed that those are the parts that he couldn't grind down and flush away. And as part of the investigation, the police actually came to believe that he likely dumped the rest of her in the remains of concrete that was uh, drying, as there was apparently a lot of construction sites going on at the area at the time. And of course, you know, this is... Horrible, horrible news. I mean, this is 1965. This is just unbelievable. And of course, like any hotel would, they do their best to distance themselves from the evils of Walter. And they they remodel room 636. They even split the original room into two. But they just can't seem to get rid of the spirits that continue to live there. Guests have reported seeing a woman 
either standing near where the murder occurred with her arms stretched out, or they have reported seeing a much older woman in a similar position. And in addition to this, this is, this is terrible, guests have also reported seeing the scene of the murder repeating itself. So basically, it's like on the, a repeat film that keeps going, that keeps playing over and over again. And to top it all off, okay, to, and, and I, I mean, it's bad enough the victim is hanging out, the, the scene of the crime is replaying in front of guests almost 50 years after the murder, 50 years later. The hotel itself received a weathered envelope addressed to its old name and its old zip code circa 1965, and inside... While there was no message, there was an original key to room 636. And I'm, I just, I don't even, how did that happen? Supposedly Walter had committed suicide 50 years prior. So I, I don't even, I don't even know what to say to that. So Alamo soldiers, girls partying like it's 1999. Walter be grinding, get it? Walter be grinding. <laughs> Let's talk the devil. Because why not at this point in time? I mean, because this hotel legit has it all. Now, I have actually never heard of the singer before, but apparently on November 23rd, 1936, a musician by the name of Robert Johnson checked into room 414-414. His goal was to record some songs to launch his singing career. Now, this recording session and included his recording of Crossroad Blues, a song some have interpreted as a hint at his alleged dealings with the devil, basically trading his soul for inhuman musical talent. And this recording actually launches his career. I mean, he takes off. But by the age of 27, Robert would die under suspicious circumstances. That, that magic number for musicians is 27. Many believe he was actually murdered via poison by a gifted whiskey, a you know, bottle of whiskey. And many speculate that it was either a crazy obsessed fan or a jealous husband, but some people actually believe it was the devil himself. He gave him his fame and fortune, and then he took his soul. Either way, though Johnson dies two states away from Texas and the Gunter, guests say that they can still see him, they can hear him, and or they can feel him. And despite his association with the devil... Those who have felt his presence have said it's actually a positive one. Now, room 414-414 is still in existence. But if the room is booked at the time of your stay and, you know, you just, that isn't available to you, you can actually get a nightcap at the bar called room 14 in Johnson's honor and have a drink, maybe possibly, with his spirit. If you are intrigued, the Gunter Hotel is located at 205 East Houston Street. Okay, well, that's it. This is a long, long episode. <laughs> I've got a lot of things going on. Uh, lots of devils. Lots of devils going on. Bridge, hotels, whatevers. Um, either way, I probably will end up doing another episode down the line because seriously, folks, I had several different options to discuss on tonight's episode. And these are literally just a few. But I mean... Chances are I will be revisiting, maybe after my personal visit, I will be doing 
San Antonio part two. Who knows? Okay. Facebook, Facebook, Facebook. If you are interested in our intrigue, I have a Facebook page. All you have to do is send me a request. However, in the meantime, if you have a place that you would someday like to see where their dark corners are or have a specific tourist attraction in mind, send me an email at wherethedarkcornersare at gmail.com. So until next time, please remember, only the few can find the beauty in the darkness, which is why I hope to meet you where the dark corners are. (laughs) 